Matthew 12. If you're interested in the baptism, I got the baptism letters around that's got the information about that, etc. It's going to be June 26th over at Bill and Shirley Jones's house there where we've been normally doing that the last few years. Prayerfully consider it. If the Lord's got that on your heart, I want to encourage you in that walk and step in your walk with Christ. And if you have any questions about what that means, why would I do it, what does it represent, come talk to us afterwards. We'd love to get a chance to talk to you. Hey, let's pray and get started. Lord, good to be here this morning. Thank you for the time of fellowship and worship. And Lord, I just pray right here, right now, we let go of everything we're dealing with just to focus on you. Speak to our hearts, encourage our hearts, uplift our hearts. And Lord, empower us just to know you deeper, to go out and be a light and a witness in all we say and all that we do to truly represent you. Um, Lord, the outreach at the fairs, the VBS, the baptism, garage sale giveaway recently, they mean nothing without you. The whole point is to get out there and see seeds get scattered for you. I pray you would take those seeds, use them, and we just love you and thank you in your name. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 12. Now, what's been going on here in our study through the book of Matthew is that Jesus has been spending a lot of the previous chapters showing the proof and power of the Messiah. Proving who he is, that he is the Messiah. Proving that he has the power. And what is starting to happen now, as we see as we get about halfway through the book of Matthew, is now he's saying, I've given you enough evidence. You know who I am. You have seen who I am. What are you going to do with that information? Look at verse 30 of Matthew chapter 12. He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters abroad. There is no neutrality in Christ. There is none. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. He's saying, I've given you enough evidence. You have to make a personal decision on who I am now. Now, that's still true for us today. I was thinking about this. There's no neutrality with God, but don't we almost glorify that in the world today? If somebody comes up today in the world and says that they're an agnostic, agnostic, just a fancy word to say, I don't know. I'm I'm thinking about it. I'm debating it. I'm wondering. The world pats them on the back and say, wow, you are so smart. Look how intelligent you are. You're really analyzing this. If somebody comes up and says, I'm an atheist, the world almost pats them on the back and says, you're so decisive. I I wish I could be that decisive, and we almost honor that. That's what the world thinks. According to Psalm 14 and Psalm 53, the Bible says what? You're a fool. (laughs) The fool says in his heart that there is no God. It just amazes me how we almost honor this neutrality of agnostic or atheist where God says no. That's really absolutely foolish. Now, the truth is, I love talking to someone who claims to be an agnostic or atheist. I love those conversations. And I really mean that sincerely. I want to sit down with them and say, tell me why. Tell me the evidence you have looked at that either convinces you that there is nothing out there. Or tell me why you think there is nothing out there. I love those conversations. Because you get a chance to really talk to someone and hopefully really represent Christ. Because what we're dealing with here, in Matthew 12, Jesus is saying, you got to decide who I am. You have to make that choice, that decision. Because once we get into Matthew chapter 13, he says the whole point now is to scatter seeds. We're going to have the parable of the sower in a couple weeks. We have the parable of the wheat and the tares. And everything we do is just representing Jesus and getting the gospel out there. That's what it's about. It's never about growing your ministry or growing the church or the Bible study. It's just about representing Jesus. You know, we had the garage sale giveaway this last weekend. What a beautiful thing to look somebody in the eye and say everything is free just like the gospel is free. And there was a guy that was dropping some stuff off Wednesday. He pulled up, dropped the stuff off, wanted to know the details. And, you know, I told him everything is free just like the gospel is free. And he kind of made a face. And I said, seriously, there's no catch. 
I said, it's just like Jesus. There's no catch to this. It's really free. And what a beautiful thing to be able to tell somebody is that what we're out here to do is whatever situation we run into in life is, Lord, how can you use us to represent you? We were at uh, Chuck E. Cheese. My, uh, my third son turned, just turned eight, turning eight this week. And so we were at Chuck E. Cheese. That's why he wanted to spend his birthday. And now, if you've ever been to Chuck E. Cheese, well, first off, if you've never been there, please don't go. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. We have learned we go at 2 o'clock in the afternoon because there's just no one else there. But you know how Chuck E. Cheese works. You earn all these tickets from doing the games, and you go up to this little, I, for lack of a better word, uh, you go up to this cabinet, and it's full of just junk. And the kids collect all their tickets, and they buy candy with the tickets. I mean, it's just, and to my boys, it's the biggest thing in the world. They're standing in front of that cabinet. It's almost like they're analyzing mortgage papers. What should I get? So it's a huge deal. So you have all this time. So I'm standing up there with them. Dad, what do you think? Should we get this? Should we get that? I'm a real big believer in this. Wherever I'm at, I just start talking to people. I just start talking to people. Let the, just start a conversation and see where the Lord goes with it. Sometimes God takes it someplace. Sometimes he doesn't. But I want to be available and start scattering seeds. So we get home that day and we're all sitting around the table. And we're just kind of talking about Chuck E. Cheese. And the, and the comment comes up about the gal that was at the, you know, the cabinet there with everything. And I said, yeah, she just moved to Toledo a couple years ago. She was from New Jersey. And her boyfriend lived in Toledo, so she moved to Toledo a couple years ago. She's been with Chuck E. Cheese for a few years. And so my family looks at me and it's like, Dad, that is so creepy. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? How do you know that? I said, that's what I do. I just start talking to people. And if the Lord opens a door, he opens a door. If not, I look creepy. I get that. But it's just scattering seeds. I don't know where God's going to take it. But I want to be available to whoever I run into to just start talking to them and say, Hey, if the Lord opens the door, let me tell you about Jesus. Is there something I can pray for you about? Let me represent God to you. And so what we're seeing here in Matthew 12 is this idea of who is Jesus to you? You've got to decide. And then in Matthew 13, now we're going to take that information and just go share it with whoever we run into. Some seeds will grow. Some seeds won't. Some seeds will be rejected. That's the whole parable of the sower and the seeds in a few weeks. But we need to be available and open just to say, Lord, I'm here. So what does the evidence show us? Well, let's see what the evidence shows us. Matthew 12, verse 22. Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him, so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? Now the Pharisees heard it and said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Now you remember a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about demons and demons being cast out? Jewish perspective, Jewish belief, this is not in the Bible, was that a mute demon was the most powerful of all type of demons. Because the way the Jews believed you got the demon out was you had to trick the demon into saying its name, and then you had a power over it. So if a demon caused a person to be mute, that was the most powerful type of demon. So that's why they're so absolutely amazed here in verse 23, because Jesus took care of this mute demon. Now, what are we looking at? Verse 22, see the evidence. See the evidence. John the Baptist in Matthew 11, when he was in jail had a moment of wondering. He sent his messengers to Jesus. Are you the Messiah or should we look for another? Jesus' response, tell John, the deaf can hear, the blind can see, the mute can speak. John, there's the evidence. So you have to see the evidence. Now, once you see the evidence, verse 23, could this be the son of David? You have to make a choice with that evidence. Joshua twenty-four fifteen makes it clear. Choose this day whom you will serve. 
You have to make a choice. Same thing is still true for us today. You look at the evidence and you have to make a choice. Now the problem is a lot of people stop at verse 24. This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. They just start analyzing it. And they just start looking at it. And they start drawing their own conclusions. Basically what they're saying in verse 24 is, well, you know how Jesus cast out demons? He's empowered by demons. That's how he casts out demons. So that's their logic here. He's empowered by Satan to cast out Satan's demons. What I love about Christ, he is so logical in his arguments back. So basically what he's going to say here in verses 25 through 30 is this. If I was empowered by Satan, why would I do things that hurt Satan's kingdoms? If I was empowered by Satan, why would I be doing things to hurt Satan's kingdom? Verse 25, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan cast out Satan... He's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? If I'm empowered by Satan, why am I casting out demons empowered by Satan? That makes no sense. Verse 27, if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. He says, listen, you're casting out demons. What's the power that you use to do that? Verse 28, but if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God is upon you. He's saying, you guys have to make a choice right now. You're saying I'm empowered by Satan? That doesn't make any sense. The real logical conclusion, the only natural reaction to something supernatural is verse 28, is that it's the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God. That's the only natural reaction to something so supernatural. Verse 29, how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds a strong man and then he will plunder his house? He's saying, listen, the enemy is strong. Us, but I'm the strong man that can come in and bind the strong man. If you're a note taker, write it down. 1 John 4, 4. 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If you're here this morning and you're born again and saved, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, God in you, you have the strongest power you can imagine. I remember being a kid in Sunday school growing up, hearing about Jesus and Satan, and in my mind, um, making them almost equals, imagining them almost duking it out. And then I got older and I started realizing Satan is a created being, a created being with limitations. Jesus created him. He then became a fallen angel, but he's a created being. And what Jesus is saying in verse 29 is, listen, I can bind the strong man. So you're saying I'm doing this by Satan. That logic makes no sense. What makes more sense is I'm doing this by the Spirit of God. I've shown my power over the enemy. Now we get to verse 30. He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters abroad. He's now saying you have to make a decision. What are you going to do with this information? There is no neutrality. You have to decide, Pharisees, what are you going to do? Same thing applies for us today. Now, we may not have seen Jesus in the flesh casting out demons, but we see the evidence of God's creation around us. We hear the witnessing. The Holy Spirit speaks to our heart. We have to stop and say, what am I going to do with this information? And not only what am I going to do with this information when it comes to being saved, what am I going to do with this information when it comes to living the daily life? Do do I really want this to impact me? Because to start rejecting this is really to start 
pushing it. See, look at verse 31. Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. Whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. This is commonly known as the unforgivable sin. What unforgivable sin is this? The Holy Spirit is trying to lead you, point you towards Jesus Christ. And we ignore that leading. You know, John makes it very clear in John 15, 26, the Holy Spirit will testify of me. In John 16, 8 and 9, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts to point us towards a relationship with Christ. To reject that is what is considered this unforgivable sin. To reject the leading of the Holy Spirit is to reject a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, there's a lot of information with that. Think about this for a second. God can forgive murderers, adulterers, liars, thieves. But but he can't forgive the rejecting of the Holy Spirit leading you into salvation. Because if you're rejecting Jesus, you're rejecting the only opportunity for forgiveness of sins. There's nothing else that can do it. Think about this. He can forgive murderers. We know murderers. David was a murderer. Moses was a murderer. We know adulterers. David was an adulterer. We know liars. Abraham was a liar. Isaac was a liar. We know thieves. Jacob was stealing birthrights. All those people can be forgiven. But it's rejecting the Holy Spirit leading you into Jesus. These Pharisees were rejecting the Holy Spirit revealing to them This man standing in front of you is not just a mere man. This is the Messiah. And Jesus is saying, guys, you're rejecting that. That's why it's so important when you hear the gospel message to respond. 2 Corinthians 6 says, today is the day of salvation. Hebrews 3 and 4 says, do not harden your hearts when you hear the gospel message being presented. Because there is a part of us that when we hear this truth and we kind of just let it go, our heart does become a little bit harder to it. We've heard it all before. I've shared with you many times before, I would rather talk to the atheist agnostic than talk to the person who was raised in church that does not have a relationship with Christ. Because the person raised in church, they think they're fine. They've, They've always known the Lord, supposedly. They've gone through this and this and this and this. But did you ever have a moment where you stopped and you really understood what Jesus did for you and what that means and represents? I remember one time talking to this guy, good guy, type of guy that you'd want as your neighbor. And we started talking about salvation and what's it mean to be saved. He couldn't get past the point, and he just happened to be raised Catholic. He couldn't get past the point of I said, you know, are you saved? Who is Jesus we're talking about? He goes, well, he just, I was raised Catholic. I was baptized and confirmed Catholic. And he couldn't get past that to really understand what a relationship with Jesus Christ looked like. And so what happens is, The Holy Spirit's leading us to a real relationship with Him. Do we want it? Do we want that? Now, there's a couple other points with this, though. If that's the only unforgivable sin, that means every other sin can be forgiven. That's a pretty amazing statement. If the only sin that can't be forgiven is rejecting the Holy Spirit leading you to a relationship with Christ, that means anything else can be forgiven. So that means when you talk to someone and they say something to the effect of, you don't know what I've done, doesn't matter. Because it can be forgiven. There's no way God can forgive. Yeah, He can. 
That's the beauty of grace and mercy is that he can forgive you. The Bible says he who has been forgiven much loveth much. Sometimes the people I run into that have the deepest, most passionate relationship with the Lord are the ones that had the most baggage come into their life. Because they really realize what it means to be forgiven. That's hard though, isn't it? That's hard to think that everything could be just taken care of and wiped clean. As far as the east is from the west, the Bible says. Years ago, we had a discipleship class. We met here in the sanctuary at the back of the church. Chairs were all circled up. The first thing we always do at discipleship class, what does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to be safe? Let's get that foundation right there to make sure we understand that. There was a young man here. He came with his grandma. Troubled kid, troubled life, had a lot of baggage, a lot of problems. So we're talking about how anything could be forgiven. This kid went through a lot. He got really angry at that statement. Not over the fact that he couldn't be forgiven is that everybody that did all these things to him could be forgiven that really upset him got him so angry tried talking got so upset he left the church in a huff to start walking down 109 he just wouldn't even think about that to think about that anybody could be forgiven now the lord opened the door we were able to talk to him you know over the next few months and really just talk to him about what grace is but that's a really hard concept to stop and think anything can be forgiven But it's also a beautiful concept. What else does this show us in that passage? If anything can be forgiven, that also means what? All sins are the same. Sin is sin. James talks about that. The liar is the same as the adulterer, which is the same as the murderer. Because what sin means is that you miss the mark that God has set up for you. You know, a lot of people believe sin is this archery term. That's where we get the concept. To means to miss the mark, to miss the bullseye. So you miss the bullseye by the inch. You miss it by a foot. You miss it by 10 foot. You miss it by 10,000 feet. You still miss the bullseye. Some of us aren't even shooting for the bullseye. The bullseye is over here and we're pointing our arrow this way. Still can be forgiven. Because sin is sin is sin. So when you read this verses 31 and 32, it's really easy for us just to focus on, oh, that's the unforgivable sin. People are going to hell. They're rejecting Jesus. That's true. But you know what I see in also those two verses? Gosh, God will forgive everything else. Isn't that amazing? Why would we not want to present that to the world? That whatever you bring in, God says, I can forgive. Why would we not want to present to the world, sin is sin is sin. We're not trying to throw stones at other sins here. We're trying to say all of us are sinners. Romans 3.23, we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'm in the same boat you are. Isn't that an amazing picture when you really stop and realize that? Now, building up to this point then, what are we going to do with this information? Jesus is saying, listen, I'm showing you who I am. You're rejecting this. You're actually claiming that I'm using this by the power of Satan. Verses 31 and 32, you're on thin ice here, people. You're starting to say that this is of the devil, not of me. You're rejecting the Holy Spirit leading. He goes, I need to know who you are and what you really think and believe. Verse 33, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. He says, I am seeing your fruit. But how you handle this? If I go up to a tree, I can look at the fruit the tree is producing and tell you what type of tree it is. If I go up and I look at that tree and I see the fruit, I can tell a lot about that tree. What type of tree it is? What type of fruit it is producing? Is it healthy? Is it good fruit? I can, by looking at the fruit of the tree, really get a glimpse into the roots of the tree without ever seeing the roots. 
And what Jesus is trying to say us here in verse 33 is by him looking at the fruit of our lives, he is really looking at the root of our lives. He's really looking into us to know how we're doing spiritually. By looking at what we do on a day-in, day-out basis, he can really see what type of believer we are. And how does this looked at? Look at verse 34, brood of vipers. How can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. Jesus says, your words reveal who you are. Your words are really a window into your heart. Now think about this. The context of this passage is Jesus is saying, Pharisees, your words about me casting out demons by Satan are revealing your heart. For us, that's still true, but it's also a picture into our heart. How you speak, how you act, what you say is really a picture right into your heart. Now, the problem is for most of us at church, when we see each other for a few minutes on Sunday, we say the right things. Praying for you. God bless you. We watch what we say. We watch what we do. We have little interactions throughout the week, some phone calls here, some texts there, etc. We make sure we keep everything on the up and up. Jesus is saying, no, I want to look at the whole day. And the privacy of your home, how do you speak to your wife? How do you speak to your spouse? How do you speak to your kids? How do you speak to those co-workers? Because that's going to reveal more of your heart than those few little minute interactions we have on a Sunday morning. What do you think? That actually never comes out of your mouth. That's going to reveal more of your heart than those little brief interactions we have. I think for the most part, all of us here on a Sunday morning can make ourselves sound pretty good. If we run into each other in the store, we'll make ourselves sound pretty good. We'll sit here at church, pray for you. We'll sit at our church, say, God bless you. We'll sing the worship songs. We get in the car on the way home. Somebody does something we don't like, and boom, all of a sudden, we're getting pretty harsh with our spouse, getting pretty harsh with our kids. That reveals more of our heart than those brief little interactions we have. Go with me, if you will, to James 3, please. James 3. James 3. James 3 is a pretty straightforward chapter. I love the book of James. Very straightforward, very to the point. James 3, verse 8. James 3, verse 8. No man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Let that verse sit there for a little bit. No man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Your words are powerful. Parents, we lie to our kids every kindergarten year. What do we tell them in kindergarten? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's not true. Words hurt. Words sting. Broken bones can heal. Bruises can heal. But words can linger in the back of your mind till the day you die. And it can be a poison. We keep trying to say, oh, don't let it bother you. It's just words. It bothers us. It hurts. I would rather be physically hurt by somebody on accident than somebody looking at me and just saying all type of evil and poison. The tongue is powerful. Verse 9, with it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men. 
We can sit here on a Sunday morning or in family devotions or in the privacy of our own devotions life and praise God, Lord, be with me. I want to be like you. And then five minutes later, we're snapping at somebody. We're saying things we shouldn't say. Jesus is telling, excuse me, James is telling us here in verse uh, 9, how is that possible? You bless God with that mouth? You curse man with that mouth? Verse 10, out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing? My brethren, these things ought not to be so. A mature man or woman controls the tongue. Why is it that we do that? It just amazes me how quickly we can just kind of flip back and forth. And sometimes we use comfortability as an excuse. Well, I've known them for a long time. Or it's just been a tough day or what have you. I recently switched phones over. And I was switching phones. I had to move some text messages over and I had to move some information over. And I was looking back through some of my text messages with Dawn. Because obviously Dawn and I text a lot. And looking back through some of these text messages, I looked at that and said, Oh my goodness. I can't believe what we text to each other sometimes. It's not nasty. But sometimes it's very, very curt. Very terse. Very short. Very to the point. Busy day. Don't have time. She said, I'm having a rough day. Well, you know what? You need a man up. Get over it. (laughs) But there's a little timer on the texts. So when we say, busy day, don't have time to talk, or you need to get over that, or you got to move on, literally one minute later, I'm texting somebody, my heart goes out to you, (laughs) praying for you. Here are some scriptures to encourage you during this tough season of life. Two seconds later, Dawn. Dawn, you need to pick up milk. Don't forget this time. Next text. God loves you. He just loves you. It's the same mouth. But the problem is what Dawn and I have been together for 20 years. It's this comfortability. And I, and I heard this teaching and I'm doing this, preparing this. I'm thinking, James, wow. How often do we do that? Or with the kids, really short, really to the point. Don't have time. We've got to move on. God bless Kenan. Kenan takes five minutes to get to the point. Kenan and I will be in the room, just us two. Dad? Yeah? Can I ask you something? Just did. Got two things I'm going to run by you. Okay. All righty, let me think. You just said you had... I mean, just... And, I, and I, there was a moment this week where I'm walking through. Dad? Yeah? I, I looked at him and said, Kenan, think about what you're going to say, and then you're going to say it. And when you have already got to figure out what you're going to say, then come find me. And I'm walking away, and I'm realizing, wow, what did I really just say? I'm too busy. I'm too busy. Whatever I'm doing trumps you at this moment. It's amazing how we let our words do that. Going back to verse 9. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men. Verse 10, out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Remember the context of Matthew 12. Jesus is saying, Pharisees, your words are really showing what you think about me. Your words are revealing your heart about me. Jesus still says the same thing today. Our words are revealing our spiritual walk. Now, we've got to talk about this. I want you to go to Proverbs with me, if you will, please. Proverbs. We'll start in Proverbs 15. Proverbs is always a fun book, easy book to find. If you just take your Bible, open it up, you'll probably hit Psalms. Proverbs leads to the, lives to the right of Psalms. Proverbs 15. If you've never really studied out Proverbs, one of my favorite things, I don't know who first said it, the first person I heard mention it was Billy Graham, is that you read a chapter of Proverbs a day. And I just think what a beautiful idea that is. Um, to be honest, I'm kind of lost. I think today is June 12th. Is that correct, everybody? 
Okay, June 12th. So, like, read Proverbs 12 today. Read Proverbs 13 tomorrow. Just a great little way to include that in your devotions. Let's read here about what the Lord says, though, about the tongue. Proverbs 15.1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Isn't that the truth? Try fighting with somebody who doesn't want to fight. Can't do it. A soft answer turns away wrath. A harsh word stirs up anger. You've been involved with those conversations. It's going okay. One person says something and it kind of ruffles your feathers a little bit. I mean, you don't really know if they meant it that way or not, but now you're on edge a little bit. So maybe you just say something a little tense, and then they say something a little tense, and next thing you know, it just explodes. A harsh word stirs up anger. Soft words back. Soft words, please, thank you. Simple things like that. Watching our tone, watching what we say. A lot of times I don't think we realize how we even come across. Because we're just so used to us. Last fall, there's a great teaching at the pastor's conference that really, really convicted me. And the pastor just made a quick little comment. He goes, make sure when you're up from the pulpit that you're equipping the saints and not whipping the saints. And I've had people come up to me before and say, sometimes I come across a little, I'm passionate, straightforward. If you love Jesus, you would be the same way, you know, this type of stuff. It's like, no, you come across the wrong way. And that's something I've been trying to really focus on. It's like, okay, equip, build up. It's not whipping, it's equipping. And it's the same thing with Dawn and the kids watching what I say. Okay, is it equipping them? Is it edifying them? Is it building them? Or is it coming across as being pretty harsh? Because we all know people like that. After 20, 30, 40, 50 years, we say things like, oh, it's just the way they are. That's just how they talk. And we almost use it as some type of badge of pride. I'm just a straightforward person. If you don't want to hear the truth, you better not come and ask me. It's like, wait a second. I don't think that's a biblical concept. We're supposed to present the truth without a shadow of a doubt. But how are we supposed to present that truth? Go to Proverbs 16, please. Proverbs 16. Look at verse 24. 1624, pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Is that how people would describe how you talk? Boy, when I talk to her, it's just like eating honeycomb. It's just the sweetest thing in the world and my bones just feel healthy. Would they say that? Now, that's maybe not the wording we would use, but that's the way we're supposed to present ourselves. Once again, we almost honor and value straightforwardness and directness and this is how I'm going to be and I'm just going to tell you like it is. No, according to Proverbs 16, 24, make your words sweet. Make your words pleasant. Make your words healthy. Honestly ask yourself when it comes to day in, day out communication, not the brief little moments we have at church or the brief little moments on the phone, but the people you're closest to, would they describe your words as pleasant and sweet and healthy? Would your kids describe you that way? We did a a men's study a few years ago, and I can't remember the name of it. I think it was Measure of a Man. But at the end of every chapter, it had these list of questions that we were supposed to ask. Supposed to ask questions to ourselves, and then we were supposed to ask the same questions to our wife and kids. Because they're the ones that know us the best. And isn't that the truth? Most of the time when I'm in public or representing the church or Jesus, I will have pleasant, sweet, healthy words. Not all the time, but most of the time. But what happens in the privacy of the day behind closed doors? What happens in my car by myself? What happens when I'm upset or frustrated? Now listen, sometimes when we get angry, there's nothing wrong with being angry. We'll get to that verse in a little bit. 
But you can't let your words and anger become sinful words. You can, you'll get frustrated by things. You'll get bothered by things. But there's always self-control. And I've heard people say before, they almost use it as an excuse. Well, I'm just really worked up right now. And so therefore, basically what I'm saying is, I'm not, what? Responsible for what I'm saying. No. No. Our words are supposed to be sweet, pleasant, and healthy. One more here, please. Proverbs 18 now. Proverbs 18. Look at Proverbs 18, verse 21. This one just cuts right to the point. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. All those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. As we mentioned earlier, I can build you up with words and I can tear you down with words. You could do the same to me. Death and life are in there. We have to be careful. Once again, the context of Matthew 12, Jesus is saying, your words are a picture into your soul, Pharisees, on what you think about me. Same thing applies for us today. Our words are a picture into our heart on how we are doing in our walk with Christ because the tongue reveals that. The tongue reveals that. Are your words death or life? I say this a lot in marriage counseling. 90% of the marriage falls on the husband. I really do believe that. As men, we're called to be leaders. We should be the ones saying, let's pray over this. You know, let's lead our family spiritually. Let's get up and go to church, etc. Not saying that to, to make anybody feel bad, but as men, we're supposed to lead. But I believe 90% of the emotional aspect of the marriage really falls a lot on the women. Proverbs 14.1, you're in Proverbs, just jump back a couple chapters, you can see the verse, Proverbs 14.1. The wise woman builds her house, the foolish pulls it down with her hands. Now, I'm not making a joke when I say this. If I come home and I'm in a grouchy mood or something like that, it's pretty simple. Dawn tells me to turn around and go outside. And she says, come back in when you're feeling better. It doesn't work if I say that to Dawn for some reason. It just doesn't come across the same way. I said, if I'm in a grouchy mood, Dawn's like, go, go do something. Go mow the yard. It's January. I don't care. Go mow the yard. If I go to Dawn and say, Dawn, you're grouchy, it doesn't work. Her personality controls a lot of the emotion of the house. It really does. And so it's this team effort. I mean, this is that one flesh thing. You remember a couple weeks ago when we were talking about marriage, you put the picture up there of the two animals yoked together. Yoked together. is You know, I'm yoked to her to lead. She's yoked to me to encourage and uplift and to help aid. And, and that. It's a team effort. And we need to make sure that's happening there. Hey, we're running out of time. Jump back to Matthew 12 with me real quick. Let's finish this up. Verse uh, 36, but I say to you, Matthew 12, verse 36, but I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. Wow. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Once again, the context of Matthew 12, Jesus is saying as Pharisees, your words will either condemn you because you are rejecting me, or your words will justify you by you accepting me as Savior. But here in verse 36, too, look at the idle words. That word idle is a really interesting word. It really just means useless. How many words a day do we say that are just absolutely useless? We're just talking to talk. We're expressing opinions that no one asked for, that no one wanted. Telling people advice that really isn't really even spirit-led. We're just doing it. And it just leads to this. Now, I'm not saying that you walk around like a monk that took a vow of silence. But what we're really stopping to say here is put all these passages together. Put James 3 in there. 
Their tongue. You can bless man or curse man. It can be a fire. It can be a poison. You can praise God or curse man. Look at what we read in Proverbs. Your words can be harsh. Your words can be soft. Your words can be sweet and pleasant and healthy. Your words can bring life. Your words can bring death. How are your words doing? According to God's biblical standards of words. Verse 37. For by your words you will be justified and your words you will be condemned. The words reveal a window right to your heart. Last verse, and this is what we're finishing with. Can you go to Ephesians, please? Ephesians 4. Last passage. As I mentioned earlier in the message, you're going to get upset about things in life. You're going to get angry. Anger in and of itself is not a sin. It's what you choose to do when you're angry that dictates whether it's a sin or not. See, because look at verse 26 of Ephesians 4. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your let the sun go down in your wrath, nor give place to the devil. There. So I'm going to get frustrated in life. I'm going to do. I'm going to do things that upset Dawn. Dawn's going to do things that upset me. My kids will frustrate me. I will frustrate my kids. I will get frustrated by the body of Christ. I will frustrate the body of Christ. That's it's going to happen. How do I respond to this? Verse 29, same chapter. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers? Wow. Words. Not corrupt, but edifying. As Proverbs says, pleasant, healthy, sweet. Stay in the same chapter, verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Worship team, if we come forward here for the final song. Your words are a window into your soul. It really is. And what Jesus is saying, by just listening how you speak of things, how you speak of God, how you speak of the body of Christ, how you speak of co-workers, friends, family, relatives, it really is a picture of you and your walk with Jesus. Really stop and think about that. Be willing to be open and honest with yourself about that. Let's pray here real quick. Lord, as we just come to you now, your word says that we're supposed to examine ourselves. And we want to take a moment right now to do that as we look at our words. And not just our brief little interactions here at church or in the store, but our our words in the privacy of our home, our words with the people we are most comfortable with. In the name of Jesus, let it be glorifying to you. Let it be edifying, encouraging. Help us to do that. Help us as men to lead when we're called to lead. Help us just to be the people you want us to be. And let our words glorify you as we go out there to scatter seeds. Help us just to represent you in all we do and say in your name. Amen.